We do have a guest in the studio today. We've got Cassie. They have come in to have a chat to us about uh, Diversity Week, um, different identities, things like pronouns, life experience. I think we're going to be in for a pretty good conversation. So without further ado, let me introduce my guests. Cassie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No, that's absolutely fine. So um, we've got you in today. I mean, I kind of think this is a conversation that needs to be had in general. Um, if you have any interest in uh, gender identity, uh, gender issues, um, then Diversity Week is a great week to explore that, basically, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, so um, firstly, tell us about yourself. How do, I, how do you identify yourself? Uh, well, I am a postgraduate research student here at the University of Otago. Um, I'm a gardener. Uh, I am a non-binary transgender person. I like to read a lot. Um, some of these words may be new to people, so I generally want to define them just so we're all on the same page. Uh, the general accepted definition of transgender is someone whose internal sense of gender doesn't match what they were assigned at birth. And non-binary people are simply people whose internal sense of gender is not exclusively that of man or woman. Uh, those are definitions are a bit academic, but basically I was born and the doctors and my family assumed that I was a girl, but they don't always get that right. And when people ask, are you a boy or a girl, the first answer that comes to mind is no. Uh, cisgender is the word that's used for people that identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Fantastic. Um, now, this is one thing that I, I won't say struggled with, but I fight against uh, my ingrained programming on, um, which is the use of pronouns and things like that. Um, so, what pronouns do people use when they refer to you? Um, people use they, them, and their pronouns mm -hmm. when they refer to me. Uh, that one is a bit of a sticking point for a lot of people because when we learn the English language, it's something we learn as children. It's very innate. It's not something that we sit around and learn the parts of speech when we're very small. Mm. Uh, but once you start looking at how we use it unconsciously, we do refer to people as they quite often without realizing it. Oh no, someone left their wallet mm. at the grocery store. Mm. But once we start trying to make it conscious, it becomes a struggle for a lot of people to remember to not um, base their pronoun use on the way that someone looks mm. or what they may have a preconceived notion of. The best way to get yourself used to it is really just practice. I like to refer to people I don't know as they and them just so I can get used to it. Mm. And then when I meet them and I get to know that person, then I know which pronouns I should be using. Mm. I had a. I was having a conversation with someone last night, and um, one thing you're always told as a kid, you know, you've got to give respect to get respect. Um, so it is respectful to to use those kind of more neutral pronouns until you know for certain. Even if you think you know for certain, isn't it? That is my personal way of looking at things is until I know for sure what someone's gender identity is or how they would like to be referred to it's easiest for me and most comfortable for me to just keep it neutral um, I know a lot of people are very used to a binary concept of the world where there are men and there are women and that is pretty much it and so it's a lot easier for them to just think of that one binary way of thinking mm. um, yeah. But yeah mostly just practice yeah Okay, so, I mean, for you, how did your gender journey begin? Um, so, uh, many but not all transgender people have an idea that they're 
different when they're young children, uh, but not everyone experiences that. Uh, for me, when I was about five years old, I remember cutting all of my hair off, and hair is a very gendered thing in our society. Girls generally have long hair, men generally have short hair. So that was a pretty empowering moment for me as a small child. Um, but I also have a lot of memories aside from that, just the assigned gender of girl didn't really fit right. It's like a itchy undersized jumper that just was really <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, but then when I was about 10 or 11, I went through a period where I dressed as a boy and I went by Casey and I generally just allowed people to assume that I was a boy and that felt pretty good too, but I don't think it was quite right. Um, and then when I was much older, uh, maybe in my mid-twenties, I stumbled across the term non-binary when I was doing research around queer communities and the rainbow community, and that was really a light bulb moment in realizing that there were other people out there like myself that had those identities or that felt that way about their gender. Um, but yeah, mostly for trans people, going through puberty is kind of a, a turning point, is this realization that your body is about to go through a change and take you away from childhood into a more gendered world of adulthood that you really don't have any control over, yeah. which is why for a lot of trans people, that's a, a very, um, they're very acutely aware of their gender at that age. Yeah, um, I know we wanted to bring this up, but I just, it reminds me of the Human Library from last night, because you were one of the, the facilitators there, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, so um, fantastic. First of all, the Human Library um, was amazing. Um, if for the listeners out there, if they ever get the chance to go to one, I really recommend it. It's not like you've got people sitting on a shelf and <laughs> you, you walk along and pick them up and, and open them up, you know, at a table or something like that. It, it is a, um, a session in which they share their life stories with you, don't they? Yes, the setup is that you go in and sign up for the book. You check out a book. It has a title and a description of the book and then you go into the room and the book, who is a, a person, they're sharing their narrative and it's generally very informative, it's very intimate, it's very personal and I uh, just want to give a shout out to the organizer Umi Asaka for doing such an amazing job and I really hope that they'll, we'll be able to do this again in the future because I think more people should be able to experience this really cool um, organ way of doing things yeah absolutely um, we are going to be coming back and speaking with Cassie a little bit more throughout the afternoon um, so do stick around with us we are going to play a song however for the meantime uh, this is the heavy with that kind of man a gendered reference there <laughs> they, they didn't have that set up for any particular reason or anything um, but you are listening to the pillow Ford every Friday from 12 till 2 on Radio 1 studio I have with me Cassie. They are a, a non-binary non transgender person who's coming to talk to us about their life experience, um, all kinds of stuff really. Um, and so we're going to launch into it now for for yourself. Um, and it is important to point out that, that um, we're here talking to you as a person, not to a community in general, aren't we? Yeah, this is just my experiences, and uh, a lot of this is just my opinions on stuff. Mm. I don't want to speak for everybody that is uh, sharing an identity with me. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. Um, and and again, just a reminder that uh, every individual is an individual. Um, I was about to launch into this like huge thing on stereotypes, but I'm not going to do that. Cause, <laughs> um, let's hear about you. Um, so what's it like for you when you meet new people? 
Uh, I was really privileged to have a wonderful and supportive community of queer and trans people back in Texas, where I'm from, uh, both in my hometown and where I went to undergrad and uh, in the larger city where I lived uh, before I immigrated. And I'm, I've been really, really privileged to have found a really accepting and supportive LGBT community here in Dunedin. Uh, I immigrated with my partner, who has always been incredibly supportive of me and all my aspirations. And uh, one of my supervisors for my master's research, uh, Gareth Treharn, is a gay cisgender man, and he's doing research on the potential for transgender community members being teaching or teaching medical school students on trans issues. So um, I've also made a lot of friends through Hannah Briggs at OUSA, um, who's finishing up over three years of her role as the queer support coordinator. Um, so I've been really, really privileged to uh, meet a lot of really great people, and I feel very supported professionally and academically. Mm. Um, now, I was going to ask you this question before that question, but I did miss this out. Um, now, you said you've been able to get um, some support, especially here in Dunedin and through your partner as well. And, I mean, back home, did you get support from your friends and family? Um, I was very supported by my friends and my family. There's a big learning curve around transgender concepts. And so uh, I have some friends who were very, very understanding, even though they didn't uh, share my identity. And uh, transgender people tend to find a lot of solace and support in people that have shared their experiences and so a lot of us will spend time together and so I had a lot of social groups that involved uh, the rainbow community and um, just with those friends with those fam family is it a difficult conversation to have um, I would say it's less difficult and more repetitive. With coming out for a lot of the rainbow community, it's not like a one-off. It's not something that we do. We have a big party and then that's it. It's a kind of a constant repetitive reminder to people. Um, anytime you meet a new person, anytime you go to a new job, it's, you know, do I want to come out? How do I want to come out? Is it really relevant? Um, will I be safe? Things like that. And so it just... it sometimes it's kind of monotonous having to have the same conversation over and over and especially if I'm the only transgender or non-binary person they've met I will also have to do a lot of foundational education mm. so I will end up spending a lot of time explaining stuff that um, people within my community may not need explained necessarily yeah yeah and um, just just in those kind of conversations um you know, I suppose I suppose people, you may be the first point of contact for them and they probably want to pick your brain kind of thing and go kind of overboard and keep you there like talking for an hour. Do you I mean, is, is that often the case? Or? Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely some expectations around uh, the one person that you know of a certain persuasion uh, educating you or representing the community, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. So there's definitely, uh, sometimes you have to say I, I, I don't really want to play educator right now mm. um, so it's while it is great to have a friend that you can pick their brain uh, I recommend Google <laughs> it's a great way of uh, educating yourself on something you don't understand so you don't have to exhaust all of your friends yeah, absolutely. Uh, marginalized identities and, and I suppose as you were saying uh, it must must get exhausting for most of us we don't have to explain ourselves every time we meet a new person generally um, not and so I mean is getting off topic a little bit, but is at the end of the day, um, and actually, no, I'm not going to ask that question because we're going to ask something similar a bit later <laughs> on, but I'll try and come back to that. Because, um, of the, course, these social 
situations, you know, with kind of well-meaning strangers, like, uh, for example, if you go to a restaurant or anything like that, I mean, do you, do you come across these things and, and how do you handle them? Yeah, with uh, meeting random strangers, there's definitely uh, a lot of assumptions made about gender when you meet someone. Uh, someone's gender presentation, the way that they dress, the way that they have their hair, the you know type of body hair that they may have is not always an indication of their gender identity internally. And so I try not to assume anything, but it's really um, quite standard in our society to rely on visual cues to determine what someone's gender is and then the language that goes with that, like we were talking about with pronouns. Mm. Um, and honorifics are another big thing, when, especially in um, like restaurants, like you said, in hospitality industry too. Uh, to try to be really respectful, we like to use uh, sir and ma'am, and I'm from Texas, and there's uh, the southern hospitality culture is very strong in that area. So there's a lot of focus on being hospitable and using that kind of language all the time to show respect. But unfortunately, sometimes it ends up being less respectful than we think it is, because if it is the right term for you, it feels good. But if it's not the right term, it feels quite bad. So it's going back to the way that I do it. I just uh, don't assume anyone's gender and, until I get to know them better. And I mean, because there's, there's other language that you could use, uh, you know, as like a server. Friends. Right? Yeah, friends. Um, lovely customers. Mm. Uh, yeah, things like ladies and gentlemen is a very popular term, but uh, esteemed patrons is always an alternative. There's, there's, mm. If you just get a little creative, there's yeah. lots of fun things that you can say to be friendly and respectful and inclusive at the same time. And of course that extra buttering up the customer might get some, some extra tips and stuff like that. Yeah, and a tipping culture, but that's a whole other show. Mm. Tipping culture is it's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I used to do very well in tips. Uh, I don't know if that means like I'm kind of some kind of greaser. I was just like polite or what I don't know anyway let's get on with the conversation um, so I mean where do you think we're headed in terms of uh, gender diversity now I've just asked that question and I've realized perhaps that's a really really big answer yeah that that is a, a very large question so over overarching um, I personally think that it would be really nice to move to a world where gender roles are less rigid um, but that's definitely a long-term goal. That's not something we'll probably see in my lifetime. But I think that ultimately it will be better for everyone if gender roles are just less rigid and a lot less expectations around that. Um, but um, just on like the day-to-day -day level, I think the language that we use and the assumptions that we make are probably a good place to start. Um, making sure that we don't assume things about people and that we do educate ourselves on diversity and what kind of people are out there. I, I would like to think that we're moving somewhere better, um, but I know that there's also been a, a global resurgence around fascism and right-wing conservatism in the world, and so uh, that's never good for queer people or any other marginalized group. So we definitely need to stay aware and uh, keep an eye out for how we're how our, how our social structures are changing. Okay, thank you, Casey. We are going to be talking with you a, a little bit longer here, but we are going to uh, play a song. Um, you're listening to The Pillow for Two. Um, I'm here talking with Cassie. We're talking about um, gender issues, identity issues, things like that. It's all part of Diversity Week. Um, before we went away for that song, um, there was one thing 
um, that you'd mentioned, which was about the rise of fascism around the world. And this is something we've seen. We have Lauren Southern and Stephen Molyneux speaking in in uh, Auckland this evening, and um, no doubt. They're intellectually lazy. That's the way I look at them. I think they're intellectually lazy. Um, and being a university student, or if I was their professor, I'd give them a D at best. That's quite generous of you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a complete monster. <laughs> Unlike them. <laughs> um, so I was uh, basically, and kind of just when we went away there, we were just talking a little bit off air. Um, and, and it was almost like, you know, we've seen elsewhere in history where when people become start to become othered now we talked about um you know for lgbtqi people uh disabled people ethnicities um and things like that now um i mean what's your take on that is are these groups always the the go-to when any kind of you know authoritarian regime kind of steps up uh, i think that um the groups that you just named are definitely they could be perceived as low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Um, when someone is disenfranchised or not supported by the system, they're going to be either the first to fall through the cracks because they're not getting support, or they're going to be the first that people will tolerate uh, like active kind of vitriol about. Uh, we like to think that that sort of thing can't happen here, whether wherever here is. Uh, and we're all decent human beings, but it's real subtle and it's real slow burn. And it starts with um, uh, there being an us and a them. The, the us is good and natural and right. And the them, the other, is uh, unnatural or wrong or just unacceptable in some way or another. And that differentiation of normative and non-normative is a... Uh, can be a real slippery slope and we can end up with um, legislation that disenfranchises people further, we can end up with health disparities, we can end up with, uh, m one of my focuses is uh, around medical bias, uh, different health outcomes because people are literally seen differently by their doctors from other people. So yeah, it's it's definitely a big issue. Hmm. Now uh, your research here in New Zealand um, you are researching public health. Um, what made you want to come all the way across to the other side of the world, um, in the middle of nowhere, effectively, and, and do that here? Uh, well, I discovered I was actually doing training for a sexual health class because I was a sexual health educator. And I was uh, asking the teacher, where they got started doing that work because it was something I was interested in and they mentioned that they had a degree in public health and I had not looked into that, I had not heard about that and so I did some research and the Masters of Public Health program is uh, really just a, a collection of all my interests coming together and so I started doing research into different schools that had you know, this program and I realized that if I were to get my Masters of Public Health in the United States I would have a lot of um, misgivings about what is considered acceptable uh, health outcomes in the United States or uh, the differential and how people are treated. And so I was looking for a country that had this program that had a better relationship with the indigenous people, a uh, country that had better health outcomes for transgender and uh, the rest of the rainbow community. Um, a socialized healthcare program where you really see the government prioritizing people's health outcomes and health equity. 
And so New Zealand was the place in my research that, um, congrats, you guys won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should be so lucky. Um, so your research itself, though, I mean, what, what, what is it surrounding? I'm looking at uh, the experiences of transgender and gender diverse people uh, with their GPs. Uh, it's a very small research project because it's uh, a master's, but I'm going to be interviewing people about their positive and negative experiences interacting with general practitioners. Mm -hmm. And I hope to get insight into how people relate to their general practitioners, the kind of experiences that they have, whether they you know, have coping mechanisms for dealing with that. Uh, it's it's really good to see not only my research getting accepted by my department, but also that you know my supervisor is in one of my supervisors is in another department also doing research. So it's it's good to know that it's getting looked at and people are paying attention. Okay, now that um, it sounds really interesting. The um, certainly I know that there's there's um, some other research um, that has been done on ethnicities and things like that, and certainly. For all the people that complain about why Māori, for example, you know, get into med school, um, and it turns out like all the doctors used to be really, really racist. <laughs> used to be? Mm, thinking, <laughs> you know, going hopeful on this one, you know, yeah. used to be. Um, so what about, you know, in terms of actually coming to New Zealand, and, and you found the people here supportive? You know, are us Kiwis as good as we think we are? <laughs> well, generally when you're uh, a, a rainbow person in a rainbow space you get a lot of support and understanding within your community and when you leave your community and go into the wider community it's really hit or miss um, some people are just really unaware and kind of confused some people are uh, actively hateful or uh, fearful or resentful uh, some people are really friendly and accepting and I think it's just it I don't want to say that it's the same everywhere but you really never know what you're gonna get when you leave your community, which is one of the reasons why we tend to spend time together. Solidarity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, we are going to um, talk with you a little bit longer, if that's okay. Uh, we are just going to head away and play a song. Uh, this is The Pillow Fort on Fridays from 12 until 2. We've got Maxine Funk with February. You're listening to Radio 1. Oh 
You're listening to The Pillow Fault on Radio 1 every Friday, 12 till 2. Thank you for joining us. We have been talking with Cassie today. They are non-binary transgender. Um, and we've been finding out a bit about their life, a bit about their experience and all that kind of thing. Um, all part of Diversity Week, of course, which has been happening on campus. Um, there is still one more event to happen this week, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We're just going to head back to uh, to Cassie and ask, uh, you know, what... Now, I and also just to uh, preface this with, um, obviously, we're talking about your experience. We... We, we know that, you know, you can't be a, a representative for simply everyone out there in the community. Um, but what do you think is the most important thing for people to understand? That's a tough question, but uh, I think a lot of it just boils down to kind of referring back to what we were talking about before the break. The transgender people are people, and we just want to be seen for who we are, respected for who we are, loved for who we are. And uh, I think that's pretty universal. I think most humans feel that way. Um, I think it's it's a there's a lot of information out there to learn on the ins and outs of transgender issues and health and history. But when it comes down to it, just being accepting is always a good way to go. Um, and yeah, just not othering people, just accepting them for who they are. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's pretty uh, wise words in general for all people, regardless of who they are or where they come from, isn't it, ultimately? Yeah. Yeah, now, um, Diversity Week, of course, which has um, ha- been happening all this week. There's already been some fantastic events around the campus and things like that. So, I mean, what's your highlight been for Diversity Week this week? Oh, I'm going to have to say that one of my favorite parts of Diversity Week is uh, the Queerest Tea Party. It's usually at the beginning of the week, so it really sets the week off right. And there's lots of good people and good snacks, and I have lots of fond memories of that. So, mm. is, is, is it a bad thing to say that, you know, if you... If you if you serve like coffee and cupcakes, then then uh, that's like the best reason to like go along. I don't know what else you could want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much heaven right there, isn't it? Uh, because there's uh, there's still obviously we've had the Queerest Tea Party, we've had the Human Library, which we talked about, but there's still one more event uh, this week, isn't there? Yeah, UniQ, which is the clubs and societies. Uh Oh, here we go. I found it. UniQ Beers and Board Games is on, it's a potluck. It's on at 645 on Sunday. And that's probably going to be in the OUSA building. But uh, that's always a good opportunity. uh, UniQ is the uh, social group that Clubs and Socks supports that is for queer and questioning members of the community. So um, you've got a little bit to do with UniQ, don't you? I did, yes. I was on the uh, committee for a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just in case people are... Um, I, I should have asked if you had any book while we were off here just then, but, I mean, it, for any terms and types of resources, if people want to find out more, I mean, what, what can they what can they do? Finding out more about queer Yeah, about support? all kinds of queer support issues, anything like that. Is there something you'd direct them to? Yeah, if they're a student, I would probably direct them to the Queer Support Resources mm. on the OUSA website. Yeah. Um, the UniQ uh, group is a great opportunity for people to meet friends and socialize with people that share identities with them, which, like we said earlier, solidarity is really important. Uh, if they need something more along the lines of uh, emotional support or um, insight into how to deal with their teachers while being part of the rainbow community or flatmates or anything like that the uh, OUSA support student support center has got someone that's dedicated 
to queer support issues. Um, that's Hannah Briggs, but she's uh, actually, this is her last day, so shout out to her. She's going to be moving on to a new position in the same building, but uh, that role will not be vacant long, and the support systems will still be in place, so no need to worry. Okay, fantastic. Big shout out to Hannah Briggs. Cassie, thank you very much for coming on the show today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on and hearing about yourself and your story and all these kind of issues and hopefully, um, as I said earlier, curing me of and maybe one or two others of their ignorance. Because um, ignorance isn't a bad thing. It willful ignorance is a bad thing. Yeah. We have all got lots to learn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some more than others. Um, and uh, the more you learn, the better you are. Just going to leave it there. Thanks so much for having me. Not a problem. Thank you very much for coming on the show.